we have for our scripture reading Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, and if you are following along in your own Bible, uh, before you get there, I'll be reading to you uh, one additional reading, that being uh, Isaiah chapter 65, and I'll read the first seven verses for you while you are finding your place in Mark chapter 2. The Lord says in Isaiah 65, I was ready to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am, to a nation that was not called by my name. I spread out my hands all the day to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good, following their own devices, a people who provoke me to my face continually, sacrificing in gardens and making offerings on bricks, who sit in tombs and spend the night in secret places, who eat pig's flesh and broth of tainted meat is in their vessels, who say, keep to yourself, do not come near me, for I am too holy for you. These are a smoke in my nostrils, a fire that burns all the day. Behold, it is written before me, I will not keep silent, but I will repay. I will indeed repay into their bosom both their iniquities and your father's iniquities together, says the Lord, because they made offerings on the mountains and insulted me on the hills. I will measure into their bosom payment for their former deeds. Amen. That is the Old Testament, a reading from the Old Testament. And I want you to have in your mind what you heard in verse chapter, verse 5, which says this, Keep to yourself, do not come near me, for I am too holy for you. Now turning to Mark chapter 2, with that verse in mind, we go to Mark chapter 2. We start at verse 13, and we read through to 17, or through 17, people of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Jesus went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him. And he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, Many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes and the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, 
but sinners. Amen. I have read to you uh, what was before me. I did use the footnote reading. Scribes and Pharisees. Understand that was not a mistake. If you were following along in the same version that I was, it should say uh, scribes and Pharisees. Mine has that in a footnote. Uh, that one is proper, I believe. At this time, let us go before the Lord and pray. Our Father, our gracious Father, we thank you for the love that you have set upon the world. We thank you that you have loved not only Israel, but you have loved the nations. And while we thank you for your general love for the nations, from people from every nation, tribe, people, and language, we thank you for your particular love that you have set upon us, electing us in Christ, in your Son, even before the foundation of the world. And we thank you for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, which has come to us in time and space and comes to us today. And we thank you that the Lord Jesus is still willing to sup with sinners. And we thank you for the communion, the fellowship of your Holy Spirit. May that be with us. May we have a deep sense of the communion of your Spirit with us in the read and preached word and also in the supper and all the ordinances that you have given to us today. Help us, O Lord, to make good use of the means of grace and to glorify your name for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we continue to meditate, at least on the times that I am here, on the words of the Lord Jesus and the conflicts and the healings that take place in the early ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus has been teaching, he has been preaching, and he has brought about some healings, some signs and wonders. And his signs and wonders, they begin to cause a little bit of problem, a little bit of strife between he and the Pharisees and the scribes. So you may remember in previous parts of the Gospel of Matthew, maybe even in previous sermons that I have preached, the Lord Jesus has called some people who had some hardships. Just two weeks ago, we talked about the fact that Jesus forgives a man his sins, and that is because the Lord Jesus sees the faith of his friends because the friends are slowly lowering the Lord Jesus, uh, the, the, a paralytic rather, down to the Lord Jesus. Jesus also cured a, one with leprosy one with a physical ailment. Well, now, in the passage that we read for today, that I'm going to seek to expound to you, Jesus, the Lord, he is cleansing 
a different kind of leper. A different kind of leper. Not a medical leper. Not one who is a physical leper. But the Lord Jesus, he is embracing a social leper. A social leper. So we take up the story here. Verse 13. Now Jesus went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching. In previous verses, the Gospel of Matthew, it has even told us that Jesus says, I must go, I must go into the towns. Why? Because I must preach. I must preach the kingdom of God. That is his objective. In one sense, the signs and wonders back up the preaching and the teaching of the kingdom. And in one sense, in another, another sense, we could say they're almost a distraction. The focus of the ministry is the prophetic proclamation of the kingdom of God. God's end times reign upon heaven and earth. That is what Jesus Christ is preaching. So verses 13 and 14, we see teaching and we see taxing. Teaching and taxing. Verse 13, the teaching. And verse 14, the taxing. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. He sees Levi. I don't think there's any dispute here. This is the one who will become Matthew, one of the disciples, one of the apostles, the one who would write the Gospel of Matthew. But there he is, as Jesus is passing by, he saw Levi slash Matthew, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. Oh, the tax man. Oh, the tax man. See what I said? The leper? The social leper? Now, I mean no offense. I don't know if you have any tax people here in this congregation. I, I was a pastor for six years where there was a retired uh, tax man of sort. I had to I didn't hold anything back, but, you know, I had to make sure not to be too offensive. Here's, here's the understanding. What do we think of the tax man? Some people will say, well, this is just a necessary evil. Others will say, no, no, taxation is theft. Sometimes wars are fought over taxation. We don't really think highly of the tax man what is true of our day as we get frustrated by the fact that our income is taxed, which is actually very offensive if you think about it. Our income is, is, is taxed. If, if, if you want to offend someone, you ask him what his, what his, what his salary is. How much does he make? That really is a private matter between 
an employer and an employee, except that the all-seeing eye of the government is looking into such private matters. You're taxed, and then you seek to pay for things, and that's taxed as well, and you have other things that are taxed. It seems like every time you do anything, you are taxed. A, a, a little bit is just taken off the top, and sometimes a lot is taken off the top, and we think, well, at least they use it responsibly. <laughs> oh, wait a minute, what's this? And then we are astonished at the waste. And deep down in our hearts, we are frustrated. Well, as it is today, so it was back then. It had other elements back then. Back then, if you are a Jewish man and you are a tax man, you are a sellout. See, because the... <clears throat> The, uh, the same way that we love our independence and want no other nation to be over us, dictating from elsewhere how we ought to live, so it was with many of the Hebrews during the time of Jesus. They did not want any nation to be enslaving them or in charge of them. But that is exactly the issue that you find when you open the pages of your New Testament that, the, that, that, that Judah, Israel, the, the nation of the Hebrews, is just one of the small conquered areas of the Roman Empire. And so, of course, there are people who are seeking to overthrow the Roman Empire Good luck, good providence with that. But some joined them. Now, the way that they did taxation back then was that the taxman would negotiate a certain amount of money that he would tax, or some might say fleece, from the, a certain area. And once he had fulfilled his quota, then he's able to keep the rest. So the more zealous he is in taking taxes, the better off he is because he meets his quota and then the rest he can take for himself. And so you understand this is a form of leprosy socially because you don't want those traitors in your midst and you do not want to associate with those who associate with those traitors. So Jesus says to this man, follow me. Pretty much the same thing that he said to two sets of brothers who were out fishing. You remember two sets of brothers, they're fishing, and he says, follow me. They leave their nets, and he says, I will make you fishers of men. Well, the analogy doesn't hold here. Jesus does not say, follow me and I'll make you a taxer of men. But he does. And he is going to make Matthew 
Levi to be a fisher of men as well. Follow me, he says. And he rose and followed him. In, in other words, Levi rose and followed the Lord Jesus. Now he is a disciple of the Lord Jesus. And you would think that he probably has some extravagancies in his home. He's able, seemingly at the drop of a hat, to have some people over. And so in the party, in the feast that Matthew slash Levi is able to have at his house, he has notorious sinners and also his co-workers. And he also has the religious people of his day, both the scribes and the Pharisees. And so there is the Lord Jesus in this, uh, in the midst of this motley crew, the dregs of society, the castaways, the wealthy pariahs, and also the religious leaders who look down on everyone else. This is a tinderbox. This is a volcano waiting to explode, waiting to go off. And so what do the scribes and Pharisees do <clears throat> as, they, as we are accustomed to finding them do in the Bible? They are prone to complain. And that is exactly what they do. And what do they say? When they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now understand that eating in that context meant a little bit more than it does for us today because you eat with those who are of your social class. They were much more socially class conscious than we often care to be. Now, the fact is, we do it too. We have our cliques, our groups, the people with whom we eat and people with whom we don't eat. We have some sense of uh, de democratized eating as Americans where it doesn't matter in, in one sense. Well, sometimes we'll just eat with anyone. But this, this is scandalous for a teacher, a rabbi, to, to eat with the dregs of society because that really, in a sense, either lowers him or legitimizes them. And so they are complaining to the disciples. Isn't that interesting? Be careful for those who, who think about one person, are concerned about one person, and go and complain to another. What does Jesus say when Jesus heard it? He said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, 
but sinners. In one sense, we could say the rebuke of the Lord Jesus, it is so well-placed and so perfect. What is the problem? What is the problem of these scribes and these Pharisees? Well, the problem with them is really the same as it was in the book of Isaiah, chapter 65, verse 5. As I read Isaiah, chapter 65, verse 5 to you, or the whole, the whole uh, portion that I read to you, what were you hearing? Let me just summarize it. The, the Hebrews of Isaiah's time are, are sinning. They're doing evil things. Evil things, according to the constitution of that nation, Deuteronomy, according to the law of that nation. They're worshiping in ways that God has not instituted. They're worshiping on mountains. Also, it even tells us that they're eating swine flesh. Now, obviously, the Lord Jesus has come. The New Testament has come. And so Jesus has cleansed all food. But for them in that time, that was sinful. In Isaiah's time, the people are simultaneously saying, get away from us. We are too holy for you. While at the same time, they're living secret lives of sin and of hypocrisy. And Jesus is showing really what's going on in the hearts of these men and showing, illustrating in a sense, what's going on in Isaiah. Hypocrites, scribes, and Pharisees, believing that they are well, believing that everything is all right with them. Meanwhile, they are sinners who are saying, I am too holy for those people. What a chilling indictment this is. Focusing on 17, though. Really, there's so much there. When Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous but sinners. The sick need a physician. The sick need a physician. And the Lord Jesus is just such a physician. You notice that the Lord Jesus is not uh, ignoring the sins of these sinners and these tax collectors. He is not oblivious to it. He's not winking at it. He is calling them sick. But he is saying that he is the great physician because these people are sick and they need a physician. What we see here is that the Lord Jesus is a doctor. He is a physician with good bedside manner. 
Have you ever been in two doctoral visits and they are in complete contrast to one another because in the one, the doctor sits and looks you in the eye and listens to what you have to say and is concerned. And then he seeks a remedy. Contrast that with, have you ever had an experience where a doctor seemed all too busy, all too concerned about so many other things, seeking to fulfill time commitments, concerned not so much about you. What we have here is really that contrast. The Lord Jesus, the physician with good bedside manner, sitting and listening to the concerns I trust, but bringing the remedy. And what is the remedy? The remedy is the kingdom of God. The remedy to get into the kingdom of God is repentance and faith. These are keys to get us into the kingdom. And this is God's grace that gives us faith. It is God's grace that gives us repentance. And repentance and faith only have power because they are the work of the Holy Spirit in the sick. And the work of the Holy Spirit bringing about repentance and faith. That has its effect because Jesus suffered and died for sinners. Sinners such as tax collectors and notorious sinners. So we must understand that the Lord Jesus is a great physician. He is the physician that you and I need. He was a, a, a physician who was sufficient for those people at that time. And he was a sufficient physician, not only because of his listening to them and his proclamation of the word of God to them, but also because the effect and the power of his atoning blood and his conquering resurrection and his intercession for us at the right hand of God the Father. But the thing is, the well need no physician. The well need no physician. They don't go to the doctor. Now we have in our time regular checkups and some people are quite zealous to fulfill their regular, maybe annual checkups. But there are some among us, I trust. I think I would count myself among them that sees no need to do such things ordinarily because we do not like to go to the physician. It is just simply a matter of fact that we don't see the need and therefore we don't go. But Jesus is taking a, a, a medical image 
to talk about a spiritual reality. He is saying that these people, the scribes and the Pharisees, don't think they need a physician because they don't think that they are sick. They think that they are well. Now, when Jesus says what he says, that the well have no need of a physician, he is not saying that these people are well. He is not saying that they are righteous. Indeed, just the opposite. He, the Lord Jesus, is confronting them in their self-sufficiency. Their assumptions. It comes through even in a book of previous decade. I'm okay. You're okay. The fact is, if we were truly, were rightly understanding things, we ought to say, I'm not okay, and you're not okay. But unfortunately, in our own self-righteousness, I think we often think, I'm okay, but I'm not so sure about you. <laughs> the fact is, none of us are okay, and we need the great physician. You'll hear people They'll say things like, Jesus is a crutch. Jesus is a crutch. I trust you've heard that. You know what I want to say when I hear that? I don't, I don't think I've had anyone recently say that to me in person. You know, I think I read it here and there, or someone says it on a screen or that sort of thing. Jesus is a crutch. I want to say, yes, absolutely. You know what else he is? He is a bandage. And he is a splint. And he is a cast. And he is a tourniquet. And he is every single medical image that we can employ. That is what he is. But he's not just that. He is the physician. And he is the physician that you need and he is the physician that I need. And so that is why we must go to him. And we must cast off our self-sufficiency. This is why the Lord uh, Jesus would bring about the, the apostolic office and extend it to the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, you may remember, 1 Timothy First Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, something extraordinary written by the Apostle Paul. He says, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the uttermost. You realize what's going on here, the Apostle Paul? He's drawing from this image, Matthew chapter 2 and elsewhere. Jesus came to save sinners. And the Apostle Paul adds his own commentary, of which I am the chief, of which I am the foremost. 
as one translation says. Now, let me just say, before we think of ourselves, I think in the immediate context, in fact, I know there's something very remarkable going on here. See, because there is one sense in a redemptive historical sense that the Apostle Paul truly is the chief. Because the Apostle Paul was really the first Antichrist. He was the first one who was seeking to put down and destroy the Christian movement, the kingdom that Jesus Christ had proclaimed. So there's a sense in which redemptive historically, he is that. Is God not gracious and merciful and astonishingly amazing that he would take one who is rising up and he is on track to become the Antichrist and he's put down and he's humbled and he becomes the one who would write really a third of the New Testament and would proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles. There's one sense in which that is exactly what he is. However, if the Holy Spirit and if the great physician has worked in you, then you have applied this to yourself. And in your sin, you have felt as though you were the chief of sinners because gone are your excuses. Gone are your thoughts of, well, I may have screwed up this time, but at least I didn't do that much. The way to be raised up is to go down. The way to be exalted is to humble yourself and cry out to the Lord and say, I am the chief of sinners. I have sinned against you. I have sinned against you, a holy God. Please forgive me and cleanse me with the Lord Jesus. How precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. Well, what should we take away from this? So many things. But I'll seek to to keep them brief. The application is this. For grace reformed, the application is this. The church is a hospital for sinners. The church is a hospital for sinners. I want to exploit the the imagery that the Lord Jesus has given to us in verse 17 and draw from it all that there is and apply it to us here at Grace Reformed. The church must be a welcoming place, must be a welcoming place There may be a time, maybe there has been, when people come in and they they don't exactly look like us. They may have crazy hairdos. They may not have the proper clothing, etc. And is grace reformed a welcoming place? If not, then how can it be a hospital for sinners? It must be a welcoming place for everyone. 
Now, of course, we're not saying that grace reform should overlook scandalous sin. The Lord Jesus didn't do that. He calls these people sick. But they were all sick in that room except for one. And we are all sick in this room and need the continued care of the great physician. And we must be real about our struggles. Number two, we must be real about our struggles. There are some times we go to church and things are not all right. And we put on a face. And we can put on a face for one Sunday and two Sundays. We can put on a face for many Sundays. And then we can do it for years. Now understand that when I say that we must be real about our struggles in, in this and in any other church, I'm not saying that you walk up to a complete stranger and begin to bear your dirty laundry. The fact is, you're only willing, you're only willing to talk about these things with someone with whom you have trust. You bear all for your doctor because you trust him, because you trust her. And so it is spiritually. We must not require people to come and bear all to us, and we must not be quick to do so ourselves. The fact is, trust is earned. Respect certainly ought to be given, but trust is something that we earn and that others earn with us. And so this implies that we must know each other and get to know each other on an intimate, in an intimate way. It often happens by eating together, whether here or in one another's homes. We have many barriers. We have many barriers that keep the church from being from being a hospital for sinners. Let me just mention a few of them. One of them is clickishness. One of them is clickishness. What I mean by that is just continuation of what some of us experienced, all of us experienced in high school. What, what do you experience? There's the jocks, the sporty types over there, and there's those who get good grades over there, and you know, there might be those who dress up as cowboys over there and those who are more inclined to wearing uh, black with uh, piercings and tattoos and all of these things. And, and then there are those who just don't fit in. And I have to say that I hear that as a complaint sometimes, not mentioning grace reform, but I, as I'm, I'm able to preach and teach and go to different churches, and sometimes I hear that. Well, we certainly have our friends and people that we know best. We must be very, very careful that we do not perpetuate some of the things that happened in high school, even into the church. For the church to be a hospital for sinners, we must welcome everyone no matter how peculiar we are or they are.
we must really say to ourselves, relax, we're all crazy. It's not a competition. I think sometimes as Reformed folk, when Peter, First Peter, he talks about as a, being a, a holy nation and a, a peculiar people, and sometimes it's like we take that as a challenge. But the fact is, we must be those who are welcoming to each and every one. We must be careful. This is, this is an OPC warning. We must make sure that the church does not become a graduate school for advanced theological learners. Now, here's what I mean by that. The fact is, as Reformed people, we tend to know our Bibles. We love it. Good. And we, we read our catechisms. Good. These are, if, if reading the Bible and reading good books and reading catechism, if this is going to have its intended effect, we're going to know a lot. Sometimes we know more about other churches and know more about cults than the cults and, and other denominations of churches know about themselves. And I don't think we should hold back from that. Yet we must not turn the preached word into a lecture for graduate students who are advanced. No, 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 no. There must be, there must be stake in the preaching, but there also must be milk. And we must con condescend to the low and to the lowly. And we must always be going back to the basics. Martin Luther rightly said, you never, you never graduate from, from Bible 101. You never graduate from the Lord's Prayer. You never graduate from the Ten Commandments. And you never graduate from the Creed. So we must, must ever be, be employing these things. Very briefly, let me say, another, another thing that we can have a tendency to do is simply be shallow. What do we do? Hi, how are you? Good. Nice weather. Good. How about the bears? How about the colts? Whatever. Bye. See you later. We must be very careful about that. Now, I understand that not every conversation can be deep. And there are some things that you can say over dinner or spending time together that you really can't say on the Lord's Day. And if you are going to try and talk to as many people as you can, you, you have to be somewhat shallow, but it must not stay there. We must not only wade in with our feet only. We must be willing to go deep with people in the times when it is appropriate. Grace Reformed, let us take this really as a mission to be a hospital for sinners because that is what the Lord Jesus would have Grace Reformed to be. Not just Grace Reformed, but any, any church and every church must be this. And as you search for a pastor, you must look for one and consider one
who has this mentality as well. You ought to be on the lookout for such a one. One who has good bedside manner like the Lord Jesus. Now, that's a tough comparison. Nobody can compete with the Lord Jesus. But as he is the shepherd and the Lord we trust in 2024 will bring an under-shepherd, so is the Lord Jesus the great physician. And he will bring an under-physician. Now it will be the Lord Jesus who brings the healing. And it will be the Spirit who works in you. However, the man that you call must have a part in pointing people to the Lord Jesus by the Spirit. How will grace reformed reach the lost? There's much to do. There's a lot of outreach to do. I think there are 2,000 some people in town. I trust that some have, have fellowship and membership and a, a good Bible-believing church. I trust there are a few in town at least. But how is grace reformed to be a, a, a light? Well, one thing it must prepare to make sure and do an adequate self-assessment. Is grace reformed a, a hospital for sinners? where sinners are welcomed because we are sinners too. I remember, I remember reading, and I'll close with this. Sometimes you'll listen to, to uh, people who will preach and they'll talk about, well, Jesus hung out with sinners. Therefore, we should hang out with sinners. And this is really, on one sense, this is totally to miss the point of, of who you are in the story. Is it not? If you're not Jesus in the story, you are one of the ones he comes to sup with. You are the one, you are one of the ones that he condescends to reach you and to share the kingdom with you. And therefore, because that is true, May you be willing to do the same for others. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you that though the Lord Jesus, in all of his majesty, his perfection, his glory, all of his beauty, that he comes to, to speak to such as we are, for we are as lepers socially, and we are those who have offended you in great ways. We ask, O oh Heavenly Father, that we would receive the medical care from the Lord Jesus, spiritually so, that we might receive it physically, because by his stripes we are healed. And we ask as well that you would cause us to spread the love of the Lord Jesus and to do so in such a way as becomes the children of God. And we pray that Christ, the Lamb of God, would have the glory in us and in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. People